Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Economics is all about multipliers. You inject a bit of money in and we spend it. We give the money to somebody else who spends it. And so it goes on, takes the money out of the multiplier and it starts to spiral down the other way. But is it as simple as that? We look at the multiplier effect today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. So, Steve, this is the most fundamental uh, of, uh, of theories, isn't it, in, uh, in, in economics? It's hard to argue against the, the basis of it. I mean, if you imagine there's uh, two people in an economy, uh, one of them discovers they've got some money in a shoebox and spends a proportion of it, the, their marginal propensity mm-hmm. to consume, as it's mm-hmm. called. Uh, that money goes to the other person. That person then spends a proportion of it back with the first person. Mm-hmm. And so it goes on. So we've got more money coming around. Mm. Uh, and so, but of course, we've got to have an external source of money to create that in the first place, haven't we? If you yeah. if you didn't have that money coming in, then the money that's circulating would have would eventually dwindle, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and this is, I mean, the whole idea of a multiplier. Um, I think it was Kahn, Richard Kahn, not not Keynes, who first came up with the concept. And if you see how it's represented in textbooks, economics textbooks, what they have, they draw is a is a, a, a graph with a you know, vertical axis and horizontal and a fifty degree line. Okay. Mm. And that 50-degree line is expenditure is identical to income along that point. So vertical axis is, is expenditure, horizontal is income, and then they show that there's the, the line of equality is the equilibrium line. And then what you have is a level of demand which cuts across that line at some point. And then uh, you, you boost the demand up. And what you get is a, you iterate from the, the, the old demand curve up to the new one across to the supply uh, and iterate up and you, you – rise up to the top and you get a multiplier effect. That's where the term came from. So it was talking about a process that converged to equilibrium over time. So, you can imagine how I feel about that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, I, but it's not going to, over time, unless you, I mean, you've got to create stuff. There's got to be yeah. an, an injection. Yeah. And then, obvi- yeah. and then obviously there's leakages. And then there's also the question of, of what is time? Because in, yeah. that, in that example, uh, it's not as though it's instantaneous. I might, you know, I, you might, I'm, yeah. I might have given some money to you. You might hang on to it for a year before yeah. you spend it. And it's I want, I, the, the basic concept that money turns over. Uh, and, and money creation of money will not just create the spending out of that money, but additional spending afterwards. Completely happy with that. It's just putting it in the equilibrium framework, which was the mistake, mm. as I see it. But uh, for example, um, in the cartoon book that I've just written, which I hope will I've put the script up uh, on on the on the Patreon website. But Miguel's now doing the illustrations, so the physical cartoon might take six months before he gets that finished. Uh, but in that, I have in the second chapter, I have uh, to the my, my protagonist Tom, Dick, and Harriet in the second chapter uh, attempting to manage the economy by reducing the level of government debt. And what they find to their chagrin is for each dollar they take out of the economy. The GDP falls by t- by more than two dollars fifty. 
Okay, it's mm-hmm. the reverse of the multiplier. Right, okay? and that and, and and what's what's going on there is and the confusion that often applies in how a lot of economists, even you know, people who got PhDs in the subject, as well as your uh, your fanboy stuff, the Austrian and the Marxist and yada 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 types, um, they think in terms of the dollars, not in terms of the dollars per year, mm. the turnover. Yeah, and. Uh, and I saw that in response to my the first chapter, and I posted that. A couple of Austrians freaked out because I was saying savings actually reduces GDP. Oh no, no, savings get invested, and you should have included a bank that they lend to, and the money will get recirculated. Guys, I left the banks out of the system deliberately to explore just what happens in this particular phenomenon. Uh, um, so, but there's a classic confusion, and, and Koleski captured it beautifully. I think Mikhail Koleski, who's a Polish. Polish? Czechoslovakian, I think. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to be crucified for that one. Uh, but an Eastern European right. engineer who, uh, in, on his own right, discovered a lot of the concept which turned up in Keynes working from an engineering point of view. And he went to, he was invited to Cambridge. He was Cambridge for quite some time. And one day he bumped into Joan Robinson, I think it was, crossing, crossing somewhere in Cambridge. And he said to her, Joan, I've worked out what economics is. It's the science of confusing stocks with flows. Right. Now, what's going on there and, 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 and the, where but, the multiplier comes from is the stock of money is not the same thing as the flow of money. The stock yeah. is dollars. The because flow it, is dollars per year. Yeah, that's so right. So you can get that turnover effect. So in my little example, and I'll we'll talk if we and we might talk about that today. In my little example, the, each dollar in the firm sector turns over two point six times per year. Right, because when you save it, it goes slow. So if we go back yeah. to the, if we go back to so you say so you've got to, uh, one analogy is you've got an island and there's two people. One of them's a farmer and, a, mm. and the other one's a builder. Mm. So the the farmer grows more crops, has a bit more money, mm. or discovers he's got some money, sells it to the builder. Mm. Builder has more money and says that's good. I can get a bit more food, and mm. so it goes. And he goes, okay, now I've just sold this food. I can build an extension to my house. Goes back to the builder and so it yeah. so it goes on and so they so at some point uh, they the, the farmer says oh, I don't need need to spend that money right now thank God there's this other guy on the island now who's a banker uh, no one ever talks to him but let's uh, let's mm. go and talk to him now you look after my money for a while mm. then he hangs on to it for a couple of years that money doesn't get spent but it, at some point. Uh, but the, but the bank is going to take that money. The bank's going to he's, he's not going to spend the money because it's not his money to spend there, is he? Or is he? Well, I mean, he'll charge interest on it and spend out of the interest. interest. But you yeah. do get a turnover, and it slows down the speed of it. The fundamental concept in the multiplier, which is the part that I'm agreeing with, is that there's uh, once if if you in, inject money into a, a, a capitalist economy, it will turn over a certain number of times. So the injection can mm. be less than the impact. The impact can be greater than the impact in the dollar that goes in. Equally, take a dollar out of a capitalist economy, uh, its its impact is not just the dollar coming out itself, it's how often the dollar would have turned over. Yeah. So you get an amplification of the of the input. The input is a stock. Okay. You're putting you're changing the stock of money by government policy. You're changing and that can be running a surplus, running a deficit. The impact of that will be several times potentially the magnitude of the change itself so what is, what is driving that factor then as to how quickly it moves because it's obviously it is slowing well, that, down that's that's where that's the where the, the classic uh, experiment in Wargle is really worth looking at there's actually a, a, an Austrian movie on it with uh, entirely in uh, German of course um, but the, the Wargle experiment because the dilemma for uh, the town of Wargle and everybody else in the 1930s was the Great Depression, massive unemployment. Germany copped 
uh, an even worse level than the United States because the United States, uh, the, Germany had funded itself by selling a large number of bonds to a large number of middle-class Americans. And then there was insistence that they repay that debt. Uh, and when they repaid that debt, you had a collapse in the money supply in Germany. Uh, massive austerity led to the rise of a certain bloke with a funny mustache and, and then ultimately, you know, fascism and the Second World War. But before we got to that stage in the town of Wargall, the mayor was facing like 20, saw 25% of the population out of a job, the misery of the Great Depression. And he decided to emulate uh, Gazelle's idea of a currency which depreciated unless you spent it mm. and invented a, a, a script uh, which could be used for paying your council rates um, and and buying and the and the council would accept this in pay, payment of rates and after initial skepticism uh, this currency you had to put a I've, I've got to check the actual technicals of how it was done but I'm aware of the experiment I haven't looked at the the tight detail of it but I think you had to put a stamp on the money for its circulation every week or so otherwise it depreciated in value. So there's a number of stamps. I think unless the mini stamps were going on the certificate, the certificate declined in value. So you were encouraged to spend. So as soon as you'd bought your groceries, mm. the grocer would be out there. Sounds thinking, like an interesting theory, but absolutely impossible. It worked. To practically to, no, okay. it worked. So they did it. Unemployment it fell to zero. Right. Okay, so it was a booming. So for the same input, you had more money circulating Yeah, you were forcing effect. a high rate of circulation. That was Gazelle's idea. Right. Uh, Emphasised the circulation of money over its hoarding. And what he saw, and this is again the insight. By hoarding, so getting back to this argument yeah. of it going to the bank, by hoarding, you're yeah. talking about sticking it out of the mattress. Because what's wrong with that Austrian theory that if it goes to the bank, the bank is still going to spend it. It's going to well, use no, the it bank to won't invest. spend it. You see, you put it in a bank account and don't spend it. And if you have, if people carrying. But the argument would be the bank, and I know I'm saying this so you can argue yeah. against it, but yeah. the argument would be that no, the money goes into the bank, so the bank lends it out. So someone yeah, well, else has got the money. If anybody wants to borrow it. Because when you have a crisis like the Great Depression, when there's too much private debt, which is what caused the Great Depression, mm. uh, uh, like in America's case, private debt went from 45% of GDP to 100% between 1920 and 1930. And I mean, I've got one thing I've... But I've we're just, highly leveraged now. That's not happening now. I mean, banks are lending out money and people are but, using but, but it. But not as much. The turnover, the rate of lending, is, is the rate of credit creation, which is the rate of new money coming out, has, is, has hit, a, hit a wall in America at about 7% of GDP, mm. and it's declining again right now. It's about right. 5%. But we're also not saving. So why but, the slowdown in circulation? The slowdown because people don't want to borrow, people don't want to lend. Mm. And when you're after a debt crisis, that rate of turnover again drops. So if you put the money in a bank... The bank is not going to be particularly happy about lending it out because they're worried about not getting the money back. Borrowers themselves have already got too much debt. They're not going to borrow. So it doesn't get lent out. It doesn't compensate. And you have the Great Depression. So in that situation, the Wargill experiment was say, let's create a new form of money, which is used locally, accepted locally, and just see what happens. And it worked. It was a booming economy because they focused upon the turnover. Mm. Okay. So what you got out of that was a very high rate of turnover. A um, couple of couple of times the rate of turnover of the actual government created money, or and center, and bank and bank created money as well. So it's that turnover issue, right? And that's where the multiplier comes in. And it, it that, that that experiment drove unemployment to zero in that town. Now, so it, it, it's focusing, emphasizing the importance of the means of payment, and what you have is people like money became a hot potato. Okay, it was only worthwhile if you spent it. You mm. hang on to it, it declined in value. Uh, whereas if you if you have a, if you the standard currency, you put it in a bank, it remains the same value, and we think that's a good thing. I get the Austrian and the gold bug obsession about maintaining the value of the currency. 
what that means is people do what they, 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 you know, the, 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 the hashtag for the Bitcoin world, HODL. They just think, what the hell does it stand for? Hold on for dear life. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, you hold on for dear life, you don't spend. Mm. If you don't spend, you don't have a... Currency. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, yeah. and, and, that's, and in that sense, uh, Bitcoin itself, I think, is the extreme end of the failure of conventional currencies where people focus upon the store of value as opposed to the means of payment. Turnover doesn't occur, and you have an economy stultifies. So uh, the economy stultifies as well, of course, if there's nothing being pushed into that multiplier, if there's no, no, yeah, nothing yeah. being created. So, so doesn't that answer the question as to you know, because the input has to be you have produced something and that's created more money. So doesn't that mean that the the, the demand it, it we're being supply led rather than demand led. Well, this is the fantasy of mainstream economics that it's all about supply supply led view of the economy. Because of that, because that's what's going into the multiplier. You've supplied well, no, no, something you're, else. You're, you're, you're mixing money. up your supplies here. You're, you're thinking of supply of money. Mm. Okay, no, but but it's come because you've created something which you've no, sold. No, it has. Right. And this is what comes first: the the dollar, the, the dollar, or the or the the widget. Yeah, and. Uh, the widget doesn't even get manufactured in the first place if you don't give dollars to the entrepreneur to turn the idea into a product. And this was, like, that's why I find uh, one reference I highly recommend people to read to get a, a dynamic vision of capitalism is Schumpeter's The Theory of Economic Development. And what he argues is that capitalism, the reason capitalism is such a successful social system is that it encourages innovation. But innovation, he, he actually, he did what you should do in making assumptions. He made assumptions that made it, made, it, made it harder for him to make his case. So his assumption was the economy is already fully employed, so there aren't unemployed resources to take advantage of. Okay? So if you want to hire resources for some new project, you've got to take them away from somewhere else, which means you've got to offer them more money than they're getting at the moment. So it's difficult to mm. get those new resources. Equally, he assumed an entrepreneur was somebody with a good idea but no money. So rather than saying it's Apple coming up with a new invention like an iPod, it's saying there's existing corporations. This guy in a back garage or gal in a back garage has invented this thing they call an iPod uh, and wants to get money for it but doesn't have any money themselves. So how do they get the money? They've got to go to a bank and get a loan of the money and the bank then creates credit and that credit demand enables an entrepreneur to turn, turn an idea into something real. So in that sense, the, the, the ideas may exist, okay, but for them to actually be turned into something real, you need money because you've got to buy resources to get them from somewhere else. Yeah. So the primacy comes on the creation of the money in the first instance. So if I, going back to this case where we've got the, uh, the, the desert island, there's only two people in the, mm. and plus the banker who no one talks to, you've mm. got the, the, the farmer and the builder, the, mm. uh, the, 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 the money, that initial £100 or whatever it was has yeah. gone through its whole dwindling process over whatever mm. period of time. Yeah. And then the farmer says, oh, I need to, or the builder probably, I need mm. to create more money, mm. so I'm going to create a new product. Yeah, the, the create, but, but make more money, yeah. not create more money. That's the But I'm going to create the product to make more money. Yeah, but then yeah. where's the money going to come from? You've got because to, you've the, got to get the farmer hasn't got any. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, mm. capitalism is fundamentally a monetary system. Mm. And this is the, the neoclassical vision, and it goes right back to Jean-Baptiste say, is to ignore the monetary side and say that money is, plays no important role in capitalism. Garbage. It's a monetary system. And if you read, I re, again recommend reading uh, the, the, the primary work that Say is still known for called The Catechism of Political Economy, which he wrote as a sort of dialogue between himself as an intelligent person and some Dumbo asking questions. 
Maybe like a radio show. Never know. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> that would never happen. I owe you a beer for that one. <laughs> uh, but, but, that, but that was the vision that- um, Dumbo that, asking. I Press know what a bastard goodness is. sake. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you for the rest of the program. Here you go. You okay. I've got to pay 15 got minutes to, to talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, touche. You win. <laughs> no, I don't think it's going to be a problem for you, is it? Anyway, go on. Very where funny. were we? Um, You've lost your luck. There we are. You I see, I've put you off. You have. You have. Okay, back to, back to Say. So Say's catechism, at one stage, the Dumbo asked the question um, uh, uh, about uh, people accumulating money. And he said, no, money is – people do not – accumulate money for its own sake. A uh, person who sells only sells with the per- intention immediately of employing that money to use some new product. So we do not consume desire money. Uh, when, when somebody says they want money, they're simply saying they want commodities in exchange for your commodities. Mm-hmm. Garbage, mm. okay? Uh, it is a nonsense concept. Capitalists want to accumulate wealth. Okay. In, in effect, Say's model of capitalism was a model of capitalism without capitalists. But we only do that for security, don't we? I mean, if we um, had security, no, no. maybe that would be the right decision. We only want to accumulate wealth because we're worried about what would happen when we don't have it. Um, if you've met any billionaires, which I have, mm. you wouldn't be saying that. I yeah. mean, it is, is, They're it just is selfish the, bastards. The, the, the power it's, that comes from wealth. I mean, it, yeah. no, I've, I've, I've met people who own 160-foot yachts. And the, and that's the reason I have 160 foot yacht was because the 120 foot one wasn't big enough. Yeah. Okay. Um, so and he still got the so greed. It's, greed. It ignores it, greed. It, it, it yeah. greed power and the hierarchy thing again. Okay. Yeah. So that's that is that is part of the nature of humanity expressed through capitalism. It's been part of the nature of humanity expressed through feudalism and slave societies before that. So right. which gets us on to the next question then, yeah. which is uh, which is about the role of tax in all of this. Because mm. uh, of course you can try and counter that with tax, probably not that effectively because you're talking about such a, a huge amount of money. Mm. But if you look at, I mean, the, this is why um, uh, governments are concerned about tax. Tax in that multiplier mm. takes the money out. So if you've got those two people again, without tax, that's fine. They pass mm. their money backwards and forwards and get this mm. dwindling effect from that initial $100 or $1,000 mm. or whatever it was. If you start to, if someone comes along and says, ah, I'm on the island now, I'm the government, give that money to me, and I'm, I'm going to squander it, um, whether they do or not, this is another question, then mm. that takes money out of that. So the money that's being passed forwards, that, um, that capacity to spend between those two people is reduced on each transaction because mm. because of that tax. So that's why governments say, "Oh, we don't want to tax too much because they think it slows down the economy." Because well, no, 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 um, tax income tax is only a fairly recent phenomenon. I mean, again, your point of in a previous podcast about the Bank of England being private until 1946. Mm. I, I wasn't aware of that. I, I thought they uh, were effectively a government body since the 1800s. So. Uh, in terms of income tax, we take it for granted that income tax has always existed, but really income tax only began, I think, after the Second World War. Maybe, right. Certainly, maybe after, maybe after the First, but I think it was the Second World War before income tax But it has high. a dwindling effect on the multiplier, doesn't well, it? Well, it, it does, it, it, because if you look back in the 1800s, the scale of government in America, and I think also in, in the UK, was of the order of 10% of GDP. Five or ten percent. So you could finance government expenditure in terms of raising, creating, taxing. You could do excise tax. That was enough. Okay? Mm. You didn't need income tax. Now, once you got to the stage uh, of the of the 
scale of the, of the great spending during the Great Depression, when like under, in, they're talking about the American economy, the big the New Deal involved the government running a deficit equivalent to roughly five percent of GDP for three years, uh, and then you had the you know, electrification schemes and all that sort of jazz. Then the, the gearing up for the Second World War. Which was, you know, truly huge. I mean, the the, the deficit, and I know this one for the UK rather than America. The, the government deficit in 1940 in the UK was 40 percent of GDP. Mm. Okay, now it had to be because if you didn't spend that much, you know, you wouldn't have won the Blitz. Yeah. So it, it was it was survival stuff. Well, what happened over that whole period was government rose from of the order of 10 percent. Let's. Five to ten to of the order of thirty percent of the economy, and then at that scale, you have an enormous amount of money you're creating through government spending, which you have to take out somehow, and the somehow became income tax. And if you go back to the fifties and sixties, income tax uh, was you know reached marginal rates of ninety nine percent or one hundred percent over here in the UK. That's why the Beatles were complaining about it, and and, and people would do tax dodges started to build up, and you had an enormous evasion of income tax, and now the income tax is falling only on those who can't evade it, which is fundamentally the working class and the middle class, mm. and the rich are evading it. It's a very unpopular way of taking money out of circulation. But it doesn't, yeah. But does it take it out of circulation? Because the government, but going back to Ireland again, that man mm. who, who says hello, I'm from the government, let me take some of that money. Of mm. course, he's got to spend the money as well, hasn't he? He might just say, well, okay. I'm going to build a. Not, not uh, if their a, decision is to try to run a surplus. Right. That's what yeah, they're trying to so They actually are yeah. taking money out of circulation. Mm. So you, you, mean, you have a real dilemma. Uh, the, 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 when you, and this is one of the advantages of modern monetary theory, is a way of framing the whole discussion. Because if you think the government has to tax in order to spend, then it's really important to tax, okay? And the spending uh, is then financed by the taxation. And if the taxation is high enough, the spending has to fall. If you say government spending actually creates the money the rest of us exchange, and the real dilemma is that if the government created 30% of the money supply every year and didn't try to take some of that money out again, you'd have runaway inflation and bubbles, current account deficits, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then you need to find some way of taking the money out of circulation. Now, what we're stuck with is we had a way of taking it out of circulation which we invented, say, 50, 60 years ago, the income tax, which now, if you evade the income tax, you accumulate money that's been taken away from other people and your wealth uh, rises because you are not paying your fair share. Mm. Uh, and that's what we've actually seen. So and that money is not in circulation. Not in circulation. Or not as, as fast yeah. anyway. You take yeah. it offshore. You know, yeah. The Cayman Islands and effects yeah. like that. Mm. So you have to find either a way of taking the money out of circulation or a way of paying money back in or creating some other form of exchange me me uh, mechanism which obviates that, that tendency. And my feeling is that income tax has become so ineffective, it's putting mm. all the burden of taking money out of circulation on the middle class and the working class, leading to them being in favour of right-wing ideologues as they were going to reduce your tax burden, et cetera, et cetera. We end up doing it for the wealthy rather than for the. So I, I would rather have a, a, a transactions tax, something, something that just took the money out of circulation in the process of circulation. But do we need to take anything out of circulation if we work on the basis that governments can create money? Well, then you uh, have a, then you just have rampant inflation. Right. That's the, the MMT case. Is you you can't allow the government to spend without taxing. Uh, because it would be given the scale right. of government. So, so the government, but if the government spends up to a point where they're creating inflation, I mean, do you need to? Uh, I mean, so that everything they're creating is extra money supply. I guess they're not going to have enough money, are they? Well, and the thing is, you know, if, you be, if you if you look at the governments were between thirty percent and fifty percent of the economy. Yeah. If you financed all of that for a new spending. 
then you'd have 50% added to the money supply You've got to take each into account year. the circulation of money. But yeah, yeah. something... Well, your, your initial mm. injection would be of that scale. Mm. And that simply would just doesn't work. You've got to take the money out of circulation somehow. The question is, is somehow we designed back in the 50s uh, is not effective anymore because the wealthy can evade it. They've got the offshore tax havens and mm. uh, and they, they can afford the accountants who can do the, you know, exploit all the loopholes in the tax. So they, even if they pay tax, they pay far less on average than the middle class do. So it becomes a real a real trap. And we, we that is one part of the capitalist system yeah. we have to redesign. So back on our island where we've got the uh, yeah. the builder and the guard and the farmer yeah. uh, and they haven't got enough money now because they've uh, they're not creating enough and mm. they're just passing money a dwindling amount of money mm. backwards and forwards to yeah. each other and they can't create anything because they're they're on an island. So then the uh, the farmer has a great idea and he says I know what I'm going to do. Mm. There's another island over there. They've got some money. I'm going to go and borrow some money from those people. Then we introduce debt into that equation and that has that multiplier effect, of course, and so that becomes, you know, a sugar hit that they quite enjoy. So that's, I guess, that it's logical. That's why we'd go down there. Right? So in, in doing my cartoon book, I've been, as well as inventing a fictional world, I've been tying into the real statistics. So there's lots of, you know, you know me, mm. lots of graphs and anything I, I facts. write. You, you, you rely on facts. Oh, damn me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I rely on the evidence. That means I can't be Australian, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, one of the facts I looked at was, uh, during the 1920s, the American government did attempt to run a 1% of GDP surplus every year. And it's actually quite fascinating to read the State of the Nation address by... You think, Bush, you think um, Donald's was bad? Yeah, okay. a few weeks ago. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Um, it was the Calvin Coolidge State of the Nation address in 1928, okay, the year before the stock market crash. And what he raved about, we've been cutting taxes every year. And though we cut taxes... The boost to the economy is so great from the extra money turning over and amongst people that we end up running a surplus. And so this magic circle must be maintained. It is the basis of our prosperity. Of course, what happens is 1929. Now, what you see is each year the government is running a surplus of 1% of GDP. What is happening? The private sector goes from by having 45% of GDP as its debt level at the beginning of the 1920s to 100% at the end. Now, what are they spending the money on? Well, I've been asking myself that question. I, I looked at data that I, I had, but I'd never actually processed before. And this was the level of margin debt. Okay? Because, of course, part of what people were doing, borrow money, was borrowing money and buying shares on margin. And this is back mm. in the days when you could actually have 10% a margin call. So you, if you bought shares under margin today, your ceiling, I think, is you've got to put a 30% deposit down to buy 100% of shares. So if you wanted to buy a million dollars worth of shares on margin, you'd put in $300,000, borrow 70%, buy a million dollars worth of shares, and then if that, uh, the shares increase in value, you lever up your gain by a factor of two and a half. If they fall, you've got to maintain the value of the account at, at the margin level. So if the prices fell by, you know, from a being equivalent value of nine hundred thousand, of a million down to nine hundred thousand, you the broker can come to you and say you've got to put another hundred thousand in. Okay? Now back in the Great Depression, it was ten percent, so you could put down a hundred thousand dollars, buy a million dollars worth of shares. Mm. If those shares rose in value by ten percent, effectively, not including your transaction cost, you double your money. Yeah. Okay. So that was the attraction. And, and I did I, I, it because but, of this fight for wealth and yeah, greed. Yeah, but, but have, have, have a guess. I mean, I, I'm still still recovering from seeing the data because what I did was I had margin data from the New York Stock Exchange from the mid-50s through to today. 
And I realized that I had a database which I'd purchased back in my early days doing my PhD called the Global Financial Database, which I think is still a service on the web. And this guy had done his PhD by assembling all sorts of long-term data series and interest rates back to 1200 and stuff like that. He'd assembled margin debt data as well. So I thought, okay, I'll graph the margin data. It started, I think, in 1918. And I'll give you a clue. The level of margin debt as percentage of GDP in the beginning of the 1920s was roughly 1%. Guess what it hit by 1930? No. 12% of GDP. Mm. It's just this most incredible up and then down to half a percent. Because all the margins got called and people got wiped out. Yeah. So what happens if you do that? That you know, the, the sugar hit you're talking about in your island example, we speculate, we gamble on assets. Yeah. That's what we end up doing, and then we have a collapse coming out of that. Which is why, which is why, I mean, if you are, uh, if you if you want to simplify economics, and you didn't get past page one where you had this nice uh, diagram of a circle and mm. money going in and going around and mm. multiplying mm. with no concern about the speed at which that happened because that yep. starts to create complexity for it uh, and you thought yeah we, we don't want to tax because we don't want to stop that nice little circle going mm. round and round and round mm. um, that is fine so long as you ign ignore debt yeah, yeah. Uh, which is your big thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? unfortunately. I mean, and I and that, the moment you do, it just blows apart that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So the, 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 the multiplier, <laughs> the circulation of money, all these things matter. And well, we need to see them in a complex system approach and a monetary approach, not the equilibrium approach that dominated the pre-Friedmanite economics. And then after that, we've had this obsession uh, with, with basically eliminating uh, government money creation at all, mm. eliminating the idea of the multiplier. Okay, it's no, that doesn't turn up in modern neo, neoclassical economics. That's pre the Keynesian stuff. So, uh, but Keynes was onto something. Mm. Okay, he was correct about the importance of the circulation of money. Well, I'm sure in your models you've got many multipliers, haven't you? For well, they, they, yeah, they turn up, and they, it's pretty much the the velocity of money turning up as as part of the expression because it's if you inject money into the economy you're injecting in dollars yeah okay now the dollars when they're injected will be spent the first person who receives them is spending them uh, or getting them as income so that that boosts their income that way but then it becomes part of the money stock and it turns over as fast as the money stock does in that society so you've got to include the turnover the, that dynamic as well and it can be done without the obsession without needing even to talk about the term into equilibrium and it's, to, me, to me, the the marrying of the concept of the, of the multiplier with the concept of equilibrium is what was the intellectual weakness that enabled the neoclassicals to take over. Mm. All right, very good. We'll mm -hmm. leave you there. Great okay. to talk, Steve. Catch you again very soon. Okay. I mean, the very idea that you can have some sort of feedback loop and that is going to find uh, equilibrium rather than necessarily running away with itself is a bit of a strange concept, isn't it? Look, next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen, uh, we're going to look at US and China debt, in particular US debt. Uh, we can expect it's going to rack up even more and more. How long can growing government debt in the US exist for before we see any repercussions? That's next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen, I'm Phil Dobby. See you then. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.